2: Is Tall Can Audio. We're
1: not here to take part. We're here to take over. used nice to be back
0: in the garden, eh? Woo! Hello and welcome to Tall Can Audio. I am Michaela. He is Matt. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TallCanAudio, Facebook.com for those of you who still use Facebook, at fa- Facebook.com slash TallCanAudio. Uh, Matt, how are you doing today?
1: I'm all right. Um, I'm like you fading off of the Facebook or, uh, falling away from it. Or, uh, essentially when we first started the, the podcast years ago, I tried to do all kinds of stuff on our Facebook page. And it just was like, when you start to figure out how Facebook organizes things and like we have, I don't know, at the time when we first started, let's say we had like 50 followers to the page and they would be like, um, they'd show your stuff to like 10 of them and then They'd say to boost your post so it gets to all of your followers, you know, $7.99 or $3.99 Yeah, or give us whatever. money. Right. And I'm like, but d- I understood that as a promotion, right? People who don't follow your page when it's like an ad or a commercial or a promoted tweet or these sorts of things. I understood how that worked. These people have already said, we want to see this. And you're still going to charge me for that? So I immediately stopped putting like any effort at all. Sorry to those of you who find our stuff on Facebook.
0: I, I mean, no disrespect to anybody who still uses Facebook. I, I kid, I swear. It's just, yeah, I, I ever Bro. since all of our parents got there, I just had to get off. <laughs> had to get That's it. There.
1: Like I still have a page, but I'm on it less and less and less and less. Um, and same with the, at, at this point, because we have software that like blasts everything out to Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and whatever. I still post our shows there and stuff, and our Instagram posts automatically go there, but I immediately stopped putting any work at all into the Facebook page when I realized they were going to pay or force me to pay them to reach an audience that had already said we want to hear from this page. I was like, garbage. Just
0: Yeah, screw you, Zuckerberg.
1: (laughs) Facebook.com slash Audio. if that's where you're still getting For those (laughs) of you who are there, we are still
0: there. You can check us out there now that we've sold it so well. Um, Matt, uh, the most important question of the day, obviously mm-hmm. is, is what beer are you drinking today?
1: So this, um, I've had a bit of a day, nothing terrible, right? Nothing, but you're just kind of at the end of it, like, Ugh, right? Like, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we're supposed to do the beer thing here. This would have been one of those shows where maybe I would normally skip it and bring the, uh, the Bacardi straight in here. Didn't want to do that. Wanted to stick with the beer. And so as part of the uh, beyond the pale order that I did a couple of weeks ago there was a 9.3% double imperial coffee stout. I said, you know what? Ooh. That'll work. That'll work for what I'm looking for here. Uh this is called the dark and roasty. And um people who know beyond the pale know their uh, traditional stout which is called the darkness and it's a very nice stout. Uh they have something else in their lineup called the darkerness which I've actually mm-hmm. never tried before. This is the darkness with uh, infused with some sort of uh, coffee something right like it's a coffee stout. It's I don't I don't know how they do this. I'm not a brewery guy. I'm just a guy who drinks their stuff right. I don't know how they do it. Absolutely. So it's a double imperial, double infused coffee stout, and uh, they say in the description here, um, like I said, nine point three percent, but it is supposed to taste like a boozy cold brew. So, uh, I don't know if you're one of those people who does the cold coffees and stuff over the summer. I'm not really a coffee guy unless it's in my beer. So, uh, that's what they're going for here is the, uh, the boozy (laughs) cold brew. So, uh, like I said, that's called the dark and roasty from beyond the pale. It was in one of these, uh, big boy 700 milliliter bottles at 9.3%. I saw that standing at the back of the fridge and went, that's what I need today. That is what I'm looking for today.
0: What about you? There you go. Uh, so, so to answer your question, I am I am a iced coffee person, but only in the summer and only rarely. Like I'll get it, you know, maybe once a week for a couple of weeks, and then mm-hmm. I'm good. Okay. But it's got to be I like the cold nitro brew. Yeah, also okay, yeah, some good stuff from Equator nice. Coffee out here in Almont. Shout out Equator. <laughs> uh, so today. Oh, that didn't have the sound no. effect I was hoping for. Anyway, I know this is tall can audio. I'm drinking out of a bottle today. All right. Um, I'm going with the Big Wave Golden Ale from Kona Brewing Company, nice. which is in Hawaii. Hawaii, for sure. Yeah, of all places. And uh, it is it is a craft brewery. Like, I've I've started drinking this. I think I picked it up at the LCBO last summer one day. I, I was just, you know, every now and then, the, most beer comes in cans nowadays. Mm-hmm. But every now and then, I'm like, I just want to drink beer out of a bottle. Right. So I was in the LCBO and I saw this six pack and it looked kind of tasty so I was like all right picked it up and I've like investigated it to no end because this is one of the most tasty summer beers I've ever had in my life. Um and it, and it is it's a It's like they know
1: something about hot weather beer in Hawaii.
0: Honestly, yeah, they're they're very well prepared for this.
1: Sure.
0: Um it is a craft beer and it's imported it into Canada by the craft brand company in Toronto. So mm-hmm. I thought okay this has got to be owned by Labatt or Yeah. Molson Coors or something, because how else did they get it in here? And, uh, lo and behold, it is still a craft beer. So how big wave golden that. ale.
1: Cheers. Cheers to that. Cause, uh, I don't know, this is a nice time of year for a, a nice golden ale. We got lots of stuff to get to. We're going to talk about Mark Shifley. We're going to talk about uh, some of the proposals going on to bring live sports or, you know, attended live sports back to Ontario. We got stuff to get to, but I wanted to ask you first. You know, as we do this, you know, on Friday, and I know you've done it a couple times safely, all these sorts of things, but on Friday, they have bumped up the uh, time that Ontario is going to be, I don't want to say reopening, what do they call it? Phase one, phase two, whatever we're heading into it was going to be June 14th. It is now June 11th. you had heading out, looking forward to, you're going to hit up a patio this weekend.
0: Oh, am I ever. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And
0: and yes, I I will say, like, I I stuck with the patios last summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was obviously very careful. I try try to only go to patios in my neck of the woods. Right. Like in, you know, Almont, Carp carlton place kind of area sure the tri-city venture in, area yeah yeah, yeah tri-city <laughs> area um I, I won't venture into the city too much and and you know i feel safer that way but mm-hmm. i've got i've got my eye on any patio in my area <laughs> on on fr- i think friday's supposed to rain because oh, that's it? just of the way that 2021 is. works yeah um but you know saturday whenever i can like I will be there as soon as they open to get a spot. <laughs> I'm dying to go to a patio. I know it is a it is a first world problem, sure. especially in this pandemic, but good God, what I wouldn't give to pay. I would pay any amount for a beer right now on a patio on a warm summer day. So yes, I will be there. Will you?
1: I'm not sure. Mainly because, um, you know, I, it's not something in my neck of the woods, like things that I could walk to. It's not really a beer, I'm like pumped to get. I guess there's the vibe of a patio, right? Like I I could go, you know, somewhere nearby and and walk up it, you know, whether I'm ready to to do the transit thing, right? To get to that patio. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I I the only thing I thought, I could walk down to Nita and at Nita Beer Co on uh, Twitter and Instagram, friends of the show, they've been with us since like our second year of doing the podcast. They've had all over their social media feeds that are getting their patio ready. They're they want people in. They want to you know, have some of their, uh, their customers back and, and hang around for a while for a pint or two, that might be the one that, that tugs at me. Cause that I could walk down there, I can support a, a local business that I really like. They make beers that I really like. That might be the one that, uh, if it's not oppressively hot, like it has been the last day or two, yeah. I might be willing to, uh, to walk down to Nita on, uh, sometime over the weekend.
0: I think that makes sense. Yeah. I, I get the transit thing. I definitely sympathize with. Yeah. Like I obviously I'm, I'm lucky in that I, I can one of my husband or I can drive sure. safely, obviously, <laughs> um, to, to a patio. But I, I, I do feel for those who rely on transit. Cause I, I imagine even as things open up, like transit's probably one of the last things I'm going to feel safe yeah. to do. And, and even Uber and stuff like that. I know a lot of people are really skeptical about that. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I haven't had to rely on it and it's something I haven't had to think about, but uh, it's, I used to uh, be somebody,
1: I was in a, several Ubers per week. I haven't been in one in over like a calendar year now, so yeah. <laughs> it'll be and one of And that limits you, of right? Of course, like it yeah. It limits
0: how you get around when that's what you rely v- on. My and.
1: world has been like a 12 block radius here uh, in the last calendar year. Anything you could walk to um, was about it. So yeah, I, I'm not necessarily at this point especially with where the numbers are here in Ottawa. Good for you guys. You guys have crushed this nicely and uh, we're doing good here in Ottawa. So um, awesome on you. I'm not really nervous about patios right now. I'm just yep. nervous about getting on the bus to get to one. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. The, and, uh, and
0: I will say like my perspective on everything is so different this year than last year. And I think the vaccines probably play a really big role in that. Sure. And I know there's variants and yep. there's all this stuff we have to consider, but you know when patios opened last summer, I, I'll admit I, I went to a patio. I think the day things opened, I went to Ridge Rock. Um, nice. You know it's in my area. It actually wasn't that busy, and we went at like noon, so right. no one was there, um, or at least there wasn't a lot of people nice there, and, and I drink. felt fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I, you know, we limited how much we went to patios, and we didn't we didn't patio hop. If we went to a patio, that was the patio we went yep. to that week, and and that was it. And we were still very cautious and, and very concerned. And obviously, I'm still very cautious. But I think because of the vaccine and maybe just because it's a year later and like everybody, I'm exhausted yeah, yeah. with this. I'm like, just get me to a patio. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm less – I don't I'm want to say I'm less cautious. I'm less concerned, right? Like, yep. I, I feel like we've been in this for long enough to know what's what feels safe and what doesn't. Yep. And last year, nothing felt safe. No.
1: You were still so, kind of traumatized a little bit, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So we may touch on that a a little bit again when we get to talking about the opening of some of these venues. But the other question I wanted to ask before we dive into any of the, uh, the topics that, you know, we'd actually agreed upon. What was the feedback like coming out of episode one of She's Got Game on the TSN radio network last weekend? I, uh, I checked it out. You were completely right. You were not overselling the interview with Kaylee Humphreys and, and how all that went, um, I'm curious, you know, what kind of feedback you've been getting, how you thought the episode came off and, you know, just what you thought after uh, episode one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping the feedback for, I mean, uh, people who listen can probably give me more feedback than I can give myself, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so far from what I've heard, pe- I, there was a lot of good feedback. There was a lot of good comments on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously I can only really see what people say on Twitter. And, and I know that that's a dangerous uh, place to get feedback. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like is it representative of everybody who right. knows? But everything I saw on Twitter was was very very positive and I was really happy to see that. Um it, it I I listened to it myself when it was on on uh, TSN 1200 here mm-hmm. in Ottawa and I was I was really really happy with the way they pieced it together and that's full credit to our producers like not 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 credit to myself (laughs) at all um but the kaylee humphreys interview was really really good even though we had to record that on my i have to record that on my phone i had to dial in on my phone because we couldn't connect via zoom that night okay so my audio was crap and i remember thinking like we've we finally got it figured out so now our interviews are much better right um but i was like of all the interviews for this to happen (laughs) like this one was so good so that was a little disappointing, but it was it was it was really really good and and uh, yeah I'm 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 feeling pretty good about it. We we record episode two tomorrow, and then obviously it'll air on Friday uh, here in Ottawa, Saturday in Edmonton, and Sunday in both Toronto and Montreal. Um, so we'll you know we're, I I think it'll be like Robin and I right off the bat. I felt like we we really had some good chemistry. We sounded really good together, I think and I, I was, was we were both very. For sure. Yeah, we were both very pleased with that. And that's like considering we can't see each other. Mm -hmm. We're connected via Zoom. And this is really the first time we have formally worked together. So I think that's only going to get better as we go forward, as we develop more chemistry and get to know each other a bit better and kind of get a groove. So to be like, I was so pleased. I think we were both very pleased with the way it sounded. And for it to be like that, you know, in episode one, I think is a good sign. So. You know, like, we're going to learn along the way and 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 all that. But, yeah, so far, so good, I think.
1: Are you able to give TCA listeners any sort of sneak peek into Episode 2?
0: I sure am. All right. Episode 2 will feature our interview with Natalie Spooner. Oh, nice. Of Team Canada, yeah. Women's National Hockey Team, um, which, you know, this one's really interesting because we – you know, women's hockey's been in the news quite a bit in the last few weeks with the world champion. We mm-hmm. talked about it on this episode, on this sh- this show, with the world championships being canceled or postponed, and right. then not having a date, then finally having <laughs> a, a date, and then finally having a location and all of that stuff. So it was at the time when we talked to her, it was kind of in the height of all that, and it was a bit of a whirlwind. So it was good to to hear from her and hear her perspective, and um, you know, just talk to her about how the the pandemic impacted her because you know the pandemic has impacted all athletes for sure but female athletes in particular have been hit hard
2: mm-hmm.
0: um because when, you know when, when you have less i guess foundation to fall upon right you know you fall further oh, right yeah. and, and unfortunately that's that's the reality for a lot of female athletes and and women's hockey in particular i think you know there's a whole espn emily kaplan uh, did a great article on ESPN about the impact of of the pandemic on women's hockey in particular and how it just sent them back years. Right. So it was, you know, it, it, it's it's been a tough year for them. There's obviously more positive news now, but it was it was a really good interview. She's she's always so great to talk to. She's such a she's got a future in broadcasting for sure when she's done with this whole hockey thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that whole thing. You know, the whole
0: winning gold <laughs> medals. and you know, being one, being of one of the best in the world, in the world right. <laughs> when she's done with that, yeah. you know, I'm sure she'll be really good on, on air.
1: <laughs> what did you make of I'm sorry I feel like I've sort of taken over here, but I bad I want no, to you get your opinion it. on and now I wish I hadn't started down this road because suddenly I've just blanked on the young lady's name who was just drafted into the OHL this week.
0: Oh, Taya Curry. Oh, we do talk about Taya Curry this week as well. Okay. On our one to one Is it okay VG?
1: if we still talk about it here too? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, okay. yeah,
0: yeah. no, I thought it was it was great. It was amazing to see and and uh you know, she's the first female player drafted into the OHL. She she's will a potentially. Tender. yeah. Uh, be the the first female player to um play if, if she chooses to play she could also go the ncaa route right. but uh um 16 year old goaltender she played uh boys triple a in uh, middlesex i believe that's correct yeah um uh so she's she's obviously incredibly talented drafted by the starnia sting uh yeah i thought it was great i, I you know my my only hope is that I hope she plays wherever, wherever she decides to play, whether it's the OHL or the NCAA, I hope that, you know, she has a, a great career ahead of her. And I really hope that by the time she gets to that phase, there's a viable female league right. for her to play. in. not that I don't think she should be playing in the OHL. No. I'm just like, I I would be so happy if, if she and other people in her other female hockey players of her age, by the time they got to, you know, the, the 22 years old or whatever. Uh, age it is where they're done with the ohl or they're done with with college hockey they have a, a professional league that she can go into mm-hmm. and make money right for for what she does because like theoretically she'll only be in the ohl until she's what 20 21 22 right at the most yeah I, I i can't remember the age limit there but i you know it's yeah, your over my, age my really is only twenty, right? So it's yeah. My my hope is by the time she gets there, there's a, a viable league for her to play in. But it was great to see. It was you know, it's always good to see history being made, and um, you know that we've had other female players play in the CHL. Manel Rayon played in in the QMJHL, mm-hmm. and uh, Shannon Zabados played in the WHL. Right. Um, but we've never had a female hockey player in the OHL. So so I thought that was great.
1: That I guess you sort of took the bullets right out of the gun I had there for my next question, but that's all right. Um, you know, at least as far as, uh, well, it's because you're better educated on these things. It's going to happen <laughs> from time to time. Um, when we set out to do these things, I, I'm with you. I, I thought this was a really cool story. I think, unfortunately, in the world we still live in, there's a hundred reasons for a team not to do this. So the fact that somebody did is an absolute indication of how good she is, right? There is a reason to yeah. do this. You want to bring her in. It's going to be good for your team. I guess my question would be, or I wonder what your opinion is. You referenced Mano Reum, um, both in the queue, but also, you know, she did the thing in, in Tampa, right? Became the, uh, the first ever female player to play an NHL exhibition game. Uh, we've seen again, uh, Shannon Zabados, not just in, uh, in the dub, but she's played some minor pro, I believe, in the US. She was called upon by the Oilers numerous times, I believe, to come in for, for practices when somebody was hurt or sick or unavailable or whatever. And she can certainly hold her own there. Do you believe we could get to a point, I guess the other one that you'd, you'd reference is Haley Wickenheiser, who played a men's pro in Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, do you believe we can get to a point or that we're, we should be Getting to a point, I, I certainly the goal should be to have the same infrastructure for women as as exists for men. Do you believe that the fact that these players are goaltenders and thus you know sort of exist in their own crazy ass little voodoo world of goaltending makes it different, or could we see a team take a chance on a, a defender or you know or a center? I gotta I guess my my point would be or my question to you would be, there are times when I'm already pretty uncomfortable with the, you know, exceptional player status that gets given to like a 16-year-old who may give up 50 pounds to the 20-year-old defenseman that he's playing against, and that already feels offside a little bit, or or whatever you'd wanna call it. Do you think in a league like the OHL or the Q or the Dub, you know, these these junior leagues you know, just the stature of some of these women at that age would prohibit them from playing? Or are we just waiting for the player who's good enough that gets drafted in and says, no, she can handle it. She's going to do it. She's a left winger. She's whatever position she is, she's going to play in the OHL. Or is this for now sort of limited to goaltenders in your opinion?
0: I don't know. It's such a hard question to ask because there's a bit of like if this, then that, right? Like I feel like if size were the only thing stopping women from being drafted into the CHL, whatever league it is within the CHL, Mm -hmm. if size were the only factor preventing that, we probably would have seen it happen already, right? right? Because there have been female hockey players who are probably at, you know, Jillian Apps, for example, is, is, I think she stands at like, I'll have to Google how, how tall she is, but she's she's a, a taller girl. No, you're right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if size were the only thing stopping women from being drafted, it probably would have happened at least okay. occasionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I agree that the ultimate goal should always be to get a league for these the W-O W league. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and and, and even <laughs> the if dub like, dub. Even if it if it's not a women's league at the OHL level, I mean, I think we we need something equivalent to it, mm-hmm. right? Like a developmental league that feeds into whatever professional women's league is inevitably, hopefully, God willing, developed sometime soon. Sure. Yes. Um, you know, having a league that feeds into that is very important. Does it have to model the OHL? Because I, I personally I think the CHL has several flaws that I would not oh, yeah. necessarily want this to just do it again right? like- yeah but you know th- there's a lot they do right in terms of attracting fans mm-hmm. and, and um you know building building a fan base and a culture around what should again should be teams that don't make much money right um so i i think there's a lot there but yeah i i i am hard-pressed to say that you know this is going to happen more often or, or like, like i hope it does because there's no other alternative right now at this level it's either college like I'll, uh, that's why you see so many female hockey players go and play ncaa right right because they they have that that is an, an more natural path that gives them somewhere to play between the ages of 18 and 22 right gives them a ton of resources to hone their skills and get better get an education obviously in some cases they may mm-hmm. have to pay for it i don't know but there's there's just so much more opportunity at the college level for female hockey players sure. that you know you see even most of Team Canada will go down and play um, in the NCAA. So you know can we can we work on maybe getting them some sort of semi-pro developmental league right. uh, to to well, uh, and maybe that is in?
1: more the better you know because it's already awkward to watch a 210 pound 20 year old defenseman blast a 17 year old five foot six Mitch Marner right? Mm-hmm. Do I really want to? see the same thing happen to a five foot five, you know, 135 pound. I understand that that comes off a little in the direction we shouldn't be looking, but I I don't want to see that guy. I don't want to see that 210 pound physical right winger or whatever, blast a 135 pound girl into the boards on the forecheck. I, to me, that doesn't help anybody, right? That's not a, I wonder if this almost becomes more like a, and you'll correct me there if I, if I was out of line, but I wonder if this becomes more like almost the European Soccer League, where if we could get the, um, you know, the NHL involved and starting this United with the PWHPA, with the NWHL, get something big, and then does it become more like an academy system where mm-hmm. the age is less relevant than the talent level, right? Whether you're 17 or 22 and you're part of this program and we have this, uh, the G league in the NBA or whatever it might be, right. Just where we're developing people and it's less focused on age and more focused on, on talent on the women's yeah. side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, and just for those wondering, Jillian apps is five eleven. Hundred 176 pounds, according to elite prospects. So right. like, I don't know how old, she, how, how tall, I don't know how much she's grown since she was 18. Maybe right. she has, but you know, assuming she was in and around that size at 18, mm-hmm. Um, she she played in Dartmouth. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibility to see someone around that size in the OHL. No. I think that's actually that'd be it's probably pretty average given sure. the, yeah. the stages of their careers, right? So yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where this is great. I hope we see more of it, but the the um, I don't want us to think that this means Okay, we're done. Right? No, <laughs> <laughs> like we have. So Taya Curry's much work in, to do and we we solved the problem. It's good now, right? and, and I'm so happy for Taya Curry. Like sure. she's so deserving of this, and it's it's an incredible pressure to put on this 16 year old shoulders. Mm-hmm. I was watching some of her interviews, and I remember thinking, my God, if you made me do an interview with Ron McLean at 16, <laughs> like I would make an ass of myself. Right. She was so eloquent, and she was so well spoken, and and I remember thinking, imagine. Imagine having to like represent. It, it, this so often mm-hmm. happens where where women are forced to represent an entire gender, and that's obviously what's what's kind of being bestowed upon her. And she's right. handling it beautifully, and she's she's doing a very very good job. And and you know I hope she continues to to evolve in her career, whether it's the OHL or NCAA or wherever she chooses to play. I just hope that by the time she Hits the right age, there is a professional Somewhere women's league for yeah. her to play in because she's obviously good, and we would obviously benefit from being able to watch sure. her on a regular basis. Yeah,
1: I, I remember watching. So. Um, I've referenced it before, and, and he was on the show to talk about it when uh, James Duffy's book Beauties, right? And it's it's just a list. Mm-hmm. Every chapter is a different hockey story of different people he's spoken to. And one of them is about Kendall Coyne Schofield and her, you know, her fastest uh, her what are they called? Fastest skater lap at the All-Star game yep. a couple of years ago. And they interviewed one of the staff from the NHL who was in charge of, because I think it was Nathan McKinnon who had to back out um, due to an injury that opened the door for her to do this. And uh, actually, I remember laughing. She said the the only souvenir she got the whole weekend, intentionally, she went to the gift shop and bought a, a jersey of Nathan McKinnon who <laughs> had opened the door by being But one of the concerns that this staff had had from the NHL, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name, was if she falls, if it doesn't go well, there is a huge portion of the population that will go, see, told you girls can't play. Whereas if Miko Rantanen falls, no one's going, fins can't oh, yeah. skate, fins can't play. It's just a bad run. And so you are putting this pressure on these people, even if it's unintentional, to go, yeah, you now represent this whole thing. <laughs> And, you know, good luck to you. You, Hope it goes you see wild. it every
0: time, like every time a, a, a woman is hired in a management position, like, a, you know, we've watched, we've been waiting for Becky Hammond to finally get hired as a head coach in the in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, hopefully it'll happen soon. It will happen eventually. I believe that. But coaches get fired. Yep. Right? Co- oh, yeah. Coaches are hired to be fired. Yep. But you know goddamn well that as soon as she is hired and whenever First she mistake. is fired from that team. Yep it will be because she's a woman. Women don't Not know. because yep. she's just in a position that has a high turnover rate.
1: Right. Right? And, and, and we'll completely ignore right. that she got the job because someone, the guy before her got fired.
0: Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, does that mean we shouldn't put women in these positions? Absolutely not. The, the, the problem is not whether or not Kendall Coin falls. The problem is the people who are react. going to say yes. she fell because she's a woman, she right. can't play because she's a woman, blah, 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 They are the problem, not putting her in there in the first place. Right. Nope. Right. We, we, it shouldn't deter us from doing that.
1: So like what, 40 minutes into the show, I'll hand the wheel back to you and.
0: and you... <laughs> no, that's good. I'm glad we talked about this. <laughs> you can take um, us
1: wherever you want us to go. For
0: well, let's, let's say on hockey, um, uh, for for a few reasons, we'll get. To, let's start with the Mark Shifley comment. So so obviously uh, Montreal somehow we we don't know how we're still dumbfounded by this, but Montreal has swept the Winnipeg. Just jets. moonwalked right through. No one like poor Edmonton sitting there like oh well great <laughs> this is making us look really good. Um and and we're all familiar with the, the Mark Shifley hit. I know you and Rob talked about it on Sunday, which was great by the way. Um the Mark Shifley hit uh, on Jake Evans and the mm-hmm. whole debate there. And he got a four game suspension. Um, and, and that it's been talked about whether or not that was appropriate, but, um, Mark Scheifele finally spoke to the media after, uh, they were eliminated. The jets were eliminated. Locker and, clean uh, out day. Yeah. Locker clean out day. The you know most familiar day of the year for Toronto, but <laughs> easy. Chamsky um, <laughs> there. <laughs> I was for a low hanging fruit. I know. I, I get it. Um, So, so he, you know, he, I don't want to say he broke his silence because he did speak to the media outside of that, but, um, he didn't mince words and he, he wasn't too happy with, uh, with the suspension. He said something to the effect of, I thought I was going to be shut down by Philip Deneau, but I was shut down by the Department of Player Safety. That's it, exactly. Yeah. That's what he said. And, uh, yeah, he was, he just, he was obviously not happy. He voiced his concerns. Um, what did you, what did you think of Mark Shifley's comments?
1: I thought it was fairly. Like you still don't get it, eh, bud? Right? Like you shut you down. <laughs> like, and as you said, Rob and I went into this. If you want to go back, you can check that, that episode at, uh, at com. But he skated 190 feet. And as we said during that, when he started out 190 feet back, he didn't know he was going to blast Jake Evans. But at some point he made that decision, his stick drops he's clearly not going for the puck from at least the the hash marks or the top of the circle down he knows exactly what he's going to do the department of player safety did not shut you down you made a terrible decision blew somebody up at a ho- in a horrible uh, horribly vulnerable spot and you apparently have decided that that was the department of player safety's um mistake instead of yours um i thought it was snarky more than clever. Like I, I think he was going for insightful or clever or whatever. He just came off as kind of a whiny asshole. Like, I I don't know. Like to me, that's, that's all I took away from it. I, it, it just somebody who hasn't learned anything based on it. Yeah. And if that's what this is supposed to be about, if, if we're supposed to be, you know, punishing players so that it becomes a deterrent and you learn a lesson that clearly did not happen here. Now, I guess one of the things you'd say is typically, Mark Shifley is not historically a dirty player, um, but he obviously didn't learn that this was a dirty play. He's just passing the buck to somebody else.
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, If you wanted to show that you didn't learn your lesson from your punishment, here's a textbook example (laughs) on how to do that. (laughs) Now, I think if and maybe, and I'm I'm widely speculating here, but if if what was going through Mark Streifle's head was, okay, I get that I have to take a punishment, but four games is a little excessive. And I think we can all agree with that. Like, this was a, a terrible hit. It mm-hmm. was suspendable. But they kind of treated him like a repeat offender here. They did. And, you know, four games in the playoffs is
1: a yeah, big it's deal. It's supposed to be worth six, seven, eight regular season games. and. It was a dirty hit. I don't know if that had happened in February and they'd have given him six, seven, eight games. I'd have kind of gone, "Oof, boy!" Right? Like,
0: exactly. Like, like I, I, four games in the regular season, I think I could have sure. probably justified. But sure. four games in the playoffs and, and and in the second round of the playoffs is a big, big deal. And you know, when you're looking at the Tom Wilson situation and the fact that he got fined five thousand dollars, which let's face it, is the equivalent of a ten dollar bill for these <laughs> NHL players. Like I don't blame Mark Schifley for being a little pissed off. No. At the amount, I it what it comes off as is you're mad that you were suspended. Yeah. Which again, you're showing that you did not learn your lesson. No. But it I get It is kind being, of funny.
1: That he's going to be suspended the first game of the regular season over this too. Like the Jets went down so fast <laughs> that he'll be suspended still for this in October.
0: I bet he didn't expect that. No. Nor did the Jets. No. Sorry, Mark. Um, <laughs> So yeah, like it's one of those situations where I I, I disagree with his approach, mm-hmm. but I like to think that if if his if his thought process was just mad at the amount, okay, I, I think I can understand that. But he just he made himself look immature. He made himself look like a a, a teenager yeah. protesting being sent to their room or getting detention. Like, yeah. listen, you you did it. You have to live with it. Move on, right? Like this makes you this makes you look bad.
1: I wonder if you would agree, and, and I, I don't know. You know, the Jets play a lot of games at like 9 o'clock, so you've been in bed since the wheel ended or Lord whatever. I haven't watched much. Right. I wonder, though, having at least when they played the Senators, you've seen the Jets like nine times this year, my yep. opinion of Mark Shifley is very different, even before this hit, than it was going into this. Like, it's been highlighted a bunch of times, but um, just the laziness of some of the changes, some of the weak efforts in the defensive zone. I think when he was playing mostly in the Western Conference and in that Central Division and, you know, I was mainly focused on, you know, what was happening over here with the, the Sens and Habs and Lightning and Panthers and so on. Maybe you miss it a bit and you play the the Jets twice a year and maybe you see something, maybe you don't. I don't know. My opinion of that guy, even before this hit, has totally changed this year in terms of him being a leader that you build around or a number one center. There was some pretty weak efforts in a lot of places. And, like, I know what happened against the Leafs at least twice where the camera caught him, like, the Leafs scoring as he's, like, just taking these lazy strides to the bench to make a change and stuff like that. And you're kind of looking at this guy going, is this normal? Like, is this what you normally do? Or are you having a bad year? I don't know. Did you feel any different about the Jets and, and Shifley having seen them, you know, nine times this year as opposed to, you know, the kind of passing once or twice in a normal regular season?
0: That's a good point. I probably inadvertently watched more Jets hockey than yeah. I ever have because I, I really focused on the North Division. We all like did. Like, even right? if the Sens weren't playing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that's that's who I was watching. So I've probably watched more Jets hockey regardless of the time, probably the earlier games, Mm -hmm. um, than I ever have before. And and I've noticed, and I I think I've also heard a number of people talk about the fact that they are probably one of the most dynamic offensive mm-hmm. teams it's the other way honestly on the other side of the puck and it's in particular their forward core right on the other side of the puck like that we are just get atrocious. it that's a
1: weak defense but your forwards are not helping at all no
0: no and and, Mar- and mark shifley i think is you know he's he's a leader on that team i think it trickles you know it trickles mm-hmm. down from leadership and he certainly it's obvious at times that he's certainly guilty of this yeah. and, and but I, I i also think that this is just i don't know if this is their like uh, their their style of play, like what they're going for. Like, let's just not try defensively. <laughs> As a Leaf fan who has seen that strategy for
1: years and years and years until this year, it's not a great it, way to go.
0: <laughs> it doesn't help when you've got Connor Hallibuck behind you, right? And you can, and, and, you know... He'll you make, gotta,
1: clean up your mistakes for the most part. Exactly. Yeah. So
0: so what motivation do you have to back check right. when you know your goalie is probably going to be making that save? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, again, it's that... I don't know enough about Mark Shifley's play, you're right, That's previous anecdotal. to this yeah. year. Yep. Um, you know, is, is this a, in the words of Steve Dangle, is this a a, a feature or a bug? Right. Right. Is, is this this year because, you know, Connor Hallibuck was playing so well or is this just his style of play? So, yeah, I, I did notice that too, though. Very, very indicative of their style.
1: We do, uh, Down Goes Brown does a nice job of keeping track of this. And I believe, if I have this correctly, he calls it, the ultimate loser is still alive. It's still a possibility. And that is where in the first round, you get swept by a team that gets swept by a team (laughs) that gets swept in the third round who gets swept in the Stanley Cup final. So the Oilers, luckily the Leafs, when they lost to the Habs, lost in seven. So you're not the ultimate loser. You're just a bunch of big losers. Uh, But the Oilers losing four to the Jets the Jets losing four to the Habs, the Habs are going to get either the Avs or the Golden Knights. And man, what a comeback for the Golden Knights on, uh, on Tuesday night, uh, to go up three to two heading home. If the Golden Knights, and I don't think this would shock anybody, although I don't know what to expect out of the Habs anymore. Maybe you have an opinion on that. The Golden Knights, it wouldn't shock me if they swept the Habs. And then they're probably staring down the winner at, of, uh, Tampa versus Boston and whatever, and I don't expect a Stanley Cup final sweep for anybody, but the ultimate loser is still a it's still a possibility this year. It is still alive.
0: Oh Edmonton, <laughs> I am so sorry. It's if it's not the Leafs, it's the Oilers. There there are two teams I know like I'm a Sens fan, so save your jokes, I get it. But there are two teams in this country that just do not know how to lose normally. No.
1: When they lose... It's got to be spectacular. We're going to make a scene. It is
0: spectacular. It is, it is, spectacular. <laughs> it is historic. Yes. It is a travesty. It is everything. And yep. I got to say, I'm real happy I'm not one of those fans. <laughs> it's fun to watch. Um, I, I Now I kind of hope this plays out. This sounds really fun for me. Because we almost never get Edmonton it. Fan. I think the
1: last one, I think... Uh, now yeah, I'm questioning right. myself. That's... I think it was 96. The Avalanche swept... Panthers and I think they had swept uh, I believe I think 96 might have been the last time and down goes Brown um, if you're not following him you're doing hockey Twitter wrong but uh, also I think he posted something about this on the Athletic or whatever but it's the ultimate loser is a thing that we almost never get to see and uh, it is alive still this year at least after two rounds so something to keep an eye on
0: it is alive and well and very much a possibility. Um, but on on the Canadians mm-hmm. and and what the hell is going on with this? Yeah, w- like when 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 during Game Seven uh, between Toronto and Montreal, I thought what during a what now? Must Sorry,
1: be? I've blocked some some of these things out.
0: <laughs> oh, this, so in the first round, mm-hmm. let me refresh your memory. Please don't. <laughs> uh- <laughs> During the game seven, that shall not be named. Right. Um, I remember thinking, Winnipeg must be watching this game and licking yes. their chops. Like, they are not scared of either of no. these teams. And why would you be? And this is this is what I don't get about Montreal. We all talk about the New York Islanders and mm-hmm. how they play this unassuming, albeit boring, style of hockey that is like a boa constrictor that just slowly wraps around you and squeezes mm-hmm. the life out of you before you even know it. Right. Montreal kind of does that too, right? Like they're such a they such a good checking team that they just absolutely shut down any offensive possibility of hope that their opponent has. But they're not a very flashy offensive team. No. They just capitalize on the opportunities that are given to them. Price is having a very carry Price mm-hmm. level of playoff. Like he's he's become that goalie that's kind of unassuming in the regular season. Yeah. He's a the good money goalie, goalie I think
1: they call him. Yeah. shows up in the playoffs.
0: Jesus, the playoffs started. And he's a brick wall yeah. now, and but again, he's also not getting super high danger chances. That's right. Yeah. And I don't have the underlying numbers in front of me, but just I'm just going on eye test alone. Mm-hmm. It just feels like every shot given to Carey Price is is a wiffle ball that he's able to just scoop right out of the air, like right. easy save. He's made some good saves, but his team is also playing in such a way that like he doesn't have to make those spectacular saves. He's not hung out to dry. Um, no like uh, Nadalkovich in Carolina, for oh example, God. like that, like that poor guy, but <laughs> it, like Carrie Price is playing fantastic hockey. His team is playing very well around him just at shutting down the offense of their opponent and then capitalizing on their chances. And it's one of those things that you, you can't really notice it. Mm-hmm. You can't really explain it. Cause it's not like, Oh, well, you know, Montreal is doing well because uh, Brendan Gallagher is having a really good playoffs. No, they're all just doing their job.
1: Yeah, and at the risk of of name dropping here a little bit, I was trading a couple of emails on Tuesday uh, with friend of the show Ray Ferraro, and uh, yeah, I Excuse know. Excuse me, yes. do you need mm-hmm. any help with yeah. that name? Yeah. You
2: just
1: <laughs> I have dislocated my shoulder, patting myself on the <laughs> back here. Uh, he had been on, uh, and we were he and I have been trying to schedule another appearance on the podcast and uh he's just got a lot going on and you know during the playoffs and this and that so we're trying to make that happen but he had just been on tsn 1050 on overdrive and he had made a point that we talked about a little bit when we were trading these emails that he said what do you want and this is similar to what rob and i talked about too on sunday night what do you want the playoffs to be and he said he's looking at uh the 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 jets didn't put up enough of a fight to really get a good look at it but he goes Matthews or Nylander or Marner or any of those guys, before you even get a crack at price, you're skating through a web of hooks and slashes and cross checks and whatever. And if you're one of those people who looks at it and goes, that's playoff hockey, he goes, okay, that's fine. Like that's the way you see playoff hockey and I'm fine with that if that's what we're going to do. He goes, but at the same time, listen to what I just said that it took to get a shot. He had to skate through three penalties to get a shot. And he goes, That is worth another discussion, right? Is that what you want this game to be? Now, in the Jets series, I don't know if it was the Shifley thing. I don't know what that was. They just fell apart. Like, they weren't getting any chances either. Now, they were still having to skate through the same gauntlet of cross-checks and slashes and hooks and everything. But they were doing it less frequently. and, And just, you know, I think they, you know, once you lose game one and then you lose your number one center for four games there's a certain tendency to maybe just fold up the tent and go home. But it was interesting to hear him say, he goes, you know, it's up to you. You can decide which one you want to do in the playoffs. You can decide what you think this should look like. But he goes, but understand that the rules absolutely did change. And he goes, when I say that you have to skate through a slash and a hook and a cross check to get a scoring chance, you should look at that. What does that mean about your sport, right, in terms of, Do you want that to be the thing that, and you know, look at everybody who's out. Ovechkin's out, Crosby's out, McDavid and Dreisaitl are out, Matthews is out. Uh, We're left with the Islanders as we sit here right now are still alive. The Habs are still alive. God love the, the lightning and the Colorado Vegas series who are going to do their best to keep this entertaining. But oh my God, like this is not at all. I don't know if you want to go as far as the NBA and catering to your stars, but the idea that Connor McDavid did not draw a single penalty in a four-game sweep to the Jets is insanity. That's the best player in the world who was harassed for four straight games and the refs went, yeah, that's fine.
0: And that's eight straight games playoff games that he has not drawn a penalty.
1: Insanity. That's not okay. No. I can find one on every shift that guy plays. I can find an infraction against him like
0: and 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 this this is the thing and and I, we, you know we could probably draw the 6 degrees of separation clearly <laughs> back to the Tim Peel situation but <laughs> you know the NHL made it very clear that oh we don't do makeup calls and mm. well this is kind of what has happened as a result yep right you've you've got this mishmash of some refs actually you know completely putting the whistles away and not doing makeup calls mm-hmm. or being so afraid to make a call that they're not they're, they're, they're not doing those makeup calls inadvertently. Right. And then you've got some refs, you know, calling the quote unquote, calling the game as they see it. And, and we've got vast differences between the number of penalties each team gets. You saw Brenda Moore make comments about that uh, in regards to the Carolina hurricane. Yes. like, what do you want? Which, which do you want here? Because obviously refs don't know what to do now. And, and make no mistake. We are going to see those makeup calls happen because people are well aware of the McDavid situation, mm-hmm. and someone should have to answer for that. Yeah, and I guarantee you, we're going to see some some makeup calls next season. But you know, uh, you and Rob talked about this on the last episode. Seventeen of the eighteen highest paid mm-hmm. players in the NHL are not currently in the playoffs. Right. Carey Price being being the highest paid player, and mm-hmm. and and what that means is the vast majority of your superstars and the most entertaining players on the ice are not in the playoffs. They're doing what you
1: and I are doing. Sitting back on the couch and watching from home.
0: Exactly. And and how do you sell? You think ESPN is going to be okay with no. that?
1: TNT is not <laughs> in love with what they're seeing right now. No, this, Islanders and, versus Habs, conference final, pass, right? Like
0: If if we see any, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about the ESPN and TNT deals. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be great for the sport. And I think part of that is because you are looking at two networks that know how to sell superstars. And, have and that done will flex that against their sports. leagues.
1: Right and go? No, yep. this sucks. Right, <laughs>
0: like yeah, they're gonna they're gonna focus on the superstars. They're yep. gonna force the league because money talks. Mm-hmm. They're gonna force the league to actually start promoting its superstars properly, like it, it, instead of instead of McDavid and and Matthews potentially mm-hmm. in the second round, we're with all due respect to the Habs and Jets, we watched game four We got Weber versus Pionk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, like,
0: what do you freaking do? <laughs> yeah. Gallagher versus Ealers yep. Again, no disrespect to those two players. No. But you are not the superstars that we pay money to see, that that fringe fans, more importantly, yeah. are going to watch. Right. They don't care about us. They know they're already they getting at us. us. Yeah. We watched that whole freaking series. That was... I have had more entertaining conversations in libraries.
1: <laughs> Honest than... to God, libraries.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah. What? What? I had there were moments of that series where I was like, I have chosen to spend so much of my life watching hockey, and this is my fault. I have no one to blame but myself.
1: I put this out. I guess it was Game Four or whichever uh, overtime. I guess for the Habs, but I have watched enough of this, and I just tweet. I'm like, I'm going to bed. I am not subjecting myself to more of this. I woke up in the morning with tweets going, I should have went to bed. Like it didn't last long, but people just like, here's what happened, and it, it was. I, but I, I'm like, I'm not. That was a terrible terrible series and uh, I I will ask your opinion as are are we seeing the Habs have a great I don't even. I guess two weeks because really their first week of the playoffs wasn't great are we seeing them have a great two weeks or like do you see this team even making the playoffs next year when we're back in the Atlantic with the Lightning the Panthers the Leafs the, the Bruins the, and, yeah. you know, the oncoming Sens, who I keep reading on the Twitter, would have won the North this year had they gotten in, uh, which they did not, um, which should mean something. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a Sens fan, but you have to get in to win. Right. And they did not. And you they went like 1-11 or 1-11-1 Everybody or keeps like that. saying if wins. there had been 10 more
1: games, go. there were 10 more games, and you lost them in January, right? Like, yeah. whatever it was. Do you think this is the Habs, you know... It, even if you want to believe the Bergevin statements that this team was built for the playoffs, you're like, "All right, maybe it's going to be built for the playoffs again next year. Only you've got to get there." Yeah. I don't know who they're better than next year in that Atlantic Division. I I don't think they're going to be better than Lightning. I don't think they're going to be better than the Leafs. I everybody keeps saying it's about time for the Bruins to fall off, but so far there's no evidence of of that happening. I don't know what you think of the the Panthers moving forward. I, Maybe they are built for the playoffs, but I don't know if they're going to be good enough next year to qualify for them.
0: Yeah, the next year is a is a bit of an anomaly in terms of the Habs for me because I I, I just in an 82 game season where they're playing these other teams, can you really say they're going to have the same? I don't even want to say level of success. Like they fought to get into the playoff yeah. spot. They went. They lost nine of their last ten. Games. Yeah, they
1: fought poorly, but they did fight.
0: <laughs> yeah, like they they got in there, and, yeah. and I I they will don't have the Sabres want...
1: to beat up on.
0: Yeah if they get swept in the third round and and it just reaffirms this whole North division is crap narrative, I'm going to, I'm not going to be happy with that, but I, I've doubted them in every single round so far and they've proven me wrong. So I'm not going to doubt them in these playoffs yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus, them going up against Colorado or Vegas because Vegas has done to Colorado, what Montreal has been doing to other teams, right? They just completely shut down their offense and, and interrupted their cycle in a very effective way and Colorado's one of the best teams in the league at that. So, you know, theoretically could Montreal do that to to them if if they're and they end up forcing a game 7 and getting through this, who knows, but I think next year is an entirely different discussion because it's it's just such a different season. You've got 82 games instead of, you know, would they have made the playoffs this year if it was an 82 game season? And I get that that's kind of an irrelevant conversation but when you're looking at an 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 82 game season coming up then yeah you have to ask those questions Mm -hmm. and the way this team is built now i just how do you make that argument like you know that i get that they've got a lot of young stars with caulfield and and kakami and and suzuki and they've been they've been playing really well they were benched for game one so like bank can sit there and all day and say, "Oh yeah, this team is built for the playoffs." But like, yeah, the, half the reason that they're succeeding are pieces that your coach tried to sit out. <laughs> like, what uh,
1: do you think that the support of the CN Tower will help push the Montreal Canadiens oh, over oh, the I'm top? Glad
0: you brought it up. I'm glad you brought it up because I was just about to. Oh, this is this is the gift that this <laughs> this is the gift that keeps on giving. The Toronto Maple Leafs, for anybody who does not cheer for them, are the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Because oh, come the on, Leafs, the Leafs didn't do this. <laughs>
0: no, 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 They didn't, but it happened to them. Yes. And this did. is why it's so beautiful. When when the Leafs lose, when bad things happen to the Leafs, mm-hmm. we talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. It's just so spectacular. So for those of you who missed it, and if you have, I highly recommend you get I wouldn't recommend Please to anybody, get on it. Please <laughs> tell me how. Get on Twitter. Get on Twitter right now, go check out the CN Tower. Or if you live in Toronto, just look outside and Check out the CN Tower at least it at was night.
1: foggy. Thank God it was foggy the night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They have lit up the CN Tower in red, white, and blue for Le Canadien, who are now Canada's team, apparently, Ugh. as they head into the playoffs, showing their support for the Canadians. Um,
1: yeah, they tweeted out something along the lines of, you know, good luck to the Habs, Canada's oh. last chance to bring the cup home.
0: What do you think happened here because John Tory today tweeted like I don't know what happened with CN Tower but the Toronto sign is is blue and white and it will remain that way and, and we will not <laughs> light it up in canadian colors. Right. <laughs> so clearly this wasn't a city of Toronto no. decision. But who so so someone in the CN Tower management team. I never I've never thought about them in my life and I am right now.
1: <laughs> Suddenly they're getting a lot of attention.
0: Multiple people approved this because I don't imagine you yeah. light up the CN Tower Based on one person's recommendation, are they just so naive to how this will go down and how this will be received in the city in which they live (laughs) that their building is located?
1: (laughs) TheLeafsNation.com just quote tweeted, "You are
0: dead to us." Yeah. (laughs) If if Torontonians avoided the CN Tower before, they're going to be, be even worse now. This Everyone is a conversation
1: I've Trump. had years ago and, and a few different times with, uh, you know, and, and she's come up a few times later, our friend Amy Burke and, and some other people even who've come into Toronto and they'll always, you know, do you want to do this or that or whatever? And they go, I want to go to the Tower. And I'm always like, oh, right? Like I grew up in yeah. the GTA. I've been there a hundred times. It was kind of cool as a kid. It was okay later on when you... But now anybody who comes to visit wants to see the tower, and you're just like, oh my god, whatever. And so Amy used to say, people in Toronto are so rude. I'm like, where in Toronto have you been? She's like, well, Pearson and Union and the CN Tower and that aquarium. I'm like, that's you people. That's the that tourists. Curious. That you haven't been to a local Toronto pub. You haven't been to a you know suburban. Gr- anyway, without getting tied down on that it becomes this thing where that becomes the perception of Toronto when really you're just running into every other version of yourself that you're not enjoying as a tourist. Isn't yeah. the CN tower. I don't believe it's a city of Toronto run deal. I believe this is a national landmark that probably has PR ties to a bunch. of yeah. Honestly, when I watched it, when I saw the tweet, I was just like, Oh God, you're going to get just roasted for this. So but
0: well that's my question like are were they so oblivious to this the happening or are they trolling Is someone is someone in there cuz even <laughs> if even thing. if they are a national like we live in Ottawa we understand the NCC yeah. <laughs> a bunch of people who don't live here control much of our property right. and we know how painful that can be but you you have to have never watched the sport of hockey to think that the Toronto Maple Leafs right fan base are going to accept Toronto this. Toronto
1: wants the Habs colors flown. I,
0: I don't in think it was year, a year in, in any, any year time. this would be a problem. Yes, But this they just got eliminated by this team.
1: No, you're right about that. Yeah, the extra kick in the nuts that goes with it. I, honestly, I know a lot of people and I got tweets, I got it sent to me, I got whatever. I wasn't nearly as worked up as people would want me to be over this I just kind of went that's a really dumb thing to do and and moved on but I guess if this is a national landmark then you do it and it and to hell with where it lists or where it uh, lives right like you said here in Ottawa there are countless things that happen under the the guise or the watch of the national government and not the city government you're just like whatever right like that is very little and you kind of have to wear the criticism that you get for it right when it makes no sense or when it's dumb so yeah I don't think this is an open troll job as much as just being completely unnecessary and a big part of it is I've railed for years against this idea that the last Canadian team standing should be the one that we all cheer for and you and I've talked about that before that you somehow managed to sell your soul to the Canucks in 2011 or whatever it was. But I, I loudly cheered for the Oilers and Flames in 2006. And I don't know if it was because, uh oh, sorry, 2006 and 2004, I guess was the Flames. I don't know if it was because they were the last Canadian team left standing. That probably had something to do with it. I just thought they were more likable than the like $100 million Red Wings that the Flames were playing or... You know, whatever was going, the the Oilers were going to lose a cup to the Carolina Hurricanes. I was like, no, I'm probably going to ride with UC Markanen or whoever took over for Dwayne Rolison when he got hurt that year. There's just certain things that haven't. I've never been someone, though, that bought in hard on the cheer for the last Canadian team. And so, again, this to me, the most irritating part of it in terms of the extent that I did give it a second thought was... I don't care that you're the last Canadian team standing here. My team's biggest rival, get lost, right? And so, yeah, it's irritating to see it in downtown Toronto, but I think it's just one of those things that happens because you're supposed to be a national landmark more than a, you know, a local... <laughs> the, the Toronto sign that John Tory is talking about is a little lackluster, right? It's not exactly this giant landmark that people commit you're to you're not Amsterdam. No. <laughs> like this is staying blue and white. Like yeah, is it great, right? Like uh, yeah, still leaf logos see. at the Eaton Center too, right? Like can't wait.
0: <laughs> it I find it funny. And I and I get like I'm not even I lived in Toronto for a year. And even I could tell you that's 10 years ago. And even I could tell you that no one goes to the CN Tower. No. And I like, I went there like like a year and a half ago it was the last time I was I was in Toronto for, a, you know, staying with my friends. And, and we went down to Maple Leaf Square, so I could buy a, a Raptors t shirt, right? Because Couldn't find one online. That was the last time I even remotely suggested <laughs> we go to the CN Tower, because even I know that you don't do that. No. But the thing that's funny is, you may not go to the CN Tower, but you can see it from pretty oh, much yeah. anywhere in the city. Oh,
1: no. You look out the window, and there it is. Blue, blind rouge right in your oh, fucking face. <laughs>
0: I've got friends who live um, just just west of downtown. They have a beautiful view of the CN Tower from their balcony. And I texted them, and I said, go outside right now.
1: Yeah, honest to God. They
0: didn't like
1: me. No. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're the troll <laughs> Listen, more than the tower. It's so <laughs>
0: inconsequential and, like, really not a big deal. But it was just Funny,
2: yeah, like, no, was I get just it. Just
0: funny, and and you know, uh, you and Rob talked about this on Sunday. I thought it was kind of funny. Like Rob and I are, are the devil and angel sitting on your shoulders <laughs> in terms of sense fans. Like he just wants the worst yes. to happen to the and revels in their in their failure. And a, I'm not going to lie, he is part of the voice in my head. Of course, because uh, there's part of me that's like, yeah, absolutely, yes. As as compassionate as I try to be mainly because I want to keep my home life happy. I, there's just certain things that you can't resist laughing at. No. And like, I, I and just, I get that
1: part of it. Like when oh this happened, God. I'm like, all right, but this is so far down the list of kicks in the nuts that I've taken That's over true. the years. that I'm just like, whatever. Right? I get that everyone else is going to laugh and that this is going to be a big deal for Habs fans and Sens fans who want to give me shit. And it, this doesn't even register on the, I looked at it and I went, that's stupid and you're going to hear about it, right? But that, that was the extent of it for me. I'm, I'm still suffering enough from previous traumas that this one can't even register mm-hmm. on the Richter scale. Like,
0: Oh, trust me. That trauma doesn't go away <laughs> as speaking to someone who lived through the early 2000 <sighs> Ottawa Senators oh, oh, good. that stays with you. It's it will never leave you. Great. Um, speaking of uh, decisions made at a national level, mm-hmm. I guess, is the segue we're going to go with for this one. Sure. Uh, this, we finally got some insight as to what a potential return to play could look like for the CFL. As uh, Dave Naylor tweeted uh, yesterday, which was June 8th, uh, a committee representing seven Ontario pro teams, MLSEs, four, the Jays, the Ticats, and the Red Blacks, submitted a proposal last week seeking up to 35% of stadium capacity open for Ontario's stage two reopening and up to a hundred percent for stage three stage two could be as early as July 2nd stage three could be as early as July 23rd. So what that means is here in Ottawa, there's a potential for a 35% capacity at TD place to be allowed as of July 2nd and a hundred percent capacity to be allowed as of July 23rd. And right now we know there's a potential that the CFL could come back in August. What did you make of that, Matthew?
1: Uh, oh, Matthew, Well, wow. Um.
0: <laughs> it's getting real here.
1: Yeah, seriously. I feel like my mom's calling me out. <laughs> what did you do to your sister, Matthew? Um, you know what it was like, I, I, I so I guess we're calling what we're doing this Friday stage one, right? We're, yep. we're, okay. I didn't have a problem with what they talked about for stage two, for outdoor venues, right? So, Ivor, uh, I guess, it's what is it Tim Horton's field now down in Hamilton, not Ivor Wins. Yeah. Uh, TD place in Ottawa and, uh, BMO in Toronto. I got no problem at all right now with 35% in those outdoor buildings. To me, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to talk about what this is going to look like after that and, and stage three, stage three would move automatically from 35% to a hundred percent. I got a problem with them putting dates on that, right? And they're starting to talk. That could be, I know they're not swearing to it, but that could be as early as July, what'd you say, 23rd, 24th? Uh, July 23rd. Yeah. I, I think I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. And I, I don't know what the, C, like I, it doesn't surprise me at all that the CFL franchises would be saying, yeah, by the 23rd, which is two weeks before we start our regular season, we'd like to be at 100%. That doesn't, Shock me, we've heard over and over and over, they need substantial crowds for this to be worthwhile. We're not there yet. And I guess my biggest concern or complaint or whatever you'd want to call it would be for months now, everyone has been telling us, keep an eye on Britain. They did this vaccination thing the way we did, right? With get everyone, get as many people as you can with their first dose and push back the second dose if you have to to make sure that, that thing happens. And for a long time that was really successful and everything you were watching was like that's supposed to be us 3 4 weeks from now. And you're watching and you're watching it. it's going down and down and down and they're going to reopen this and they're going to have this and that. And then all of a sudden like a week or two ago it went bang and they're they're on fire again and they got the variants and and I know they're here. They haven't yet quite exploded. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll be the exact same thing here. It's a Sorry, but I have a real problem with looking past anything more than like a week or two from now, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's my biggest concern with it. The other thing I would take notice of or or think that maybe we should touch on, and, and certainly I want to get your opinion on, on what I just said there, but the Jays at the Dome, is that an outdoor venue once you open the roof? Scientifically, spe- and I don't know, I'm not being snarky, I don't know. Once you open the roof, is that equivalent to being BMO or Tim Hortons Field or TD place or whatever you want to call it, right? I don't know if they're getting substantial enough um, circulation, whatever, for 35% at the dome. That's just a big concrete convertible, right? You can call it whatever you want. You can proceed however you want. To me, it's a different vibe and... If you decide that with the roof open, you can do 35% in there or 100% apparently a month later, what happens when it rains? The Jays need to be subject to the same thing that any other major league team would be where either that game gets called, right? It's rained out. Or if you know beforehand that you're going to play that game in the rain with the roof closed, no fans. Refund your tickets, whatever it's going to be. To me, the dome-
0: Uh, they'd be concerned about a cloud in the sky. Yes. <laughs> we've seen them, we've seen them not open it for worse.
1: No, you're right about that. Like they're a totally different, to me, those three CFL venues outside, I'm not very concerned, right? I think that's going to be yeah. okay. I, I I have questions about the Skydome. I don't have answers. I'm not saying you can't do it. I have questions.
0: Yeah, what that and looks I like. assume that since the Jays are a part of this, there must be some sort of contingency plan mm-hmm. for, or or at least they're talking to public health about what is our building classified as, right? Right? I would assume I don't care how big it is. When the dome is closed, it's an indoor facility. Yes, it absolutely right. Is. And and I'm hoping that's, that's an how airplane hangar.
1: That's it. Right? Like-
0: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I I'm with you in that the 35 percent doesn't really bother me. No. Especially when you're looking at you know outdoor venues like TD Place, like it's very easy to to physically distanced. Yes. And obviously there's things around concessions you have to think of. But mm-hmm. you know, if, if we're getting into the later stages of summer and our vaccines continue to roll out the way they are, I'm I'm not concerned about thirty five percent. It's the hundred percent by the end of July that right. I just found like how can have you be you planning been in Canada for the last year? Right. What makes you think anything's gonna move that fast? No. That is a really, really bold, bold suggestion. Yes. And and this might be a hey, ask for higher and settle for lower situation
1: negotiation right, like maybe,
0: yeah yeah like their maybe their proposal is is this bold because they know they're going to get shut down and they could be like well okay we compromise
1: we could get by at 60 or
0: yeah i i i don't see them get getting much higher than 35 percent, even even into like november if i'm being honest wow, november I... december i just the, the only reason i say that is because i don't want to make any assumptions about what that time is going to look like. Right. If this last year has taught me anything, it's no. that we shouldn't do that. And we I We talked I just, about
1: this on the show and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but last spring, you know, they came out with, and, and even Ford and his simple whatever, his message was there is no calendar. There's a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really good way of describing what we're about to do here. Now that was a year ago and whatever, but you can't set dates because you just don't know. You can set a map. When we get here, we can do this. When we get to that, we can do this. Stop telling me July 3rd and July 23rd and then the season. You don't know. Like I said, and that's that's why I brought up the Britain thing, right? That was supposed to be our path. Does the fact that they went off of it mean that we will? No, not necessarily, but it's absolutely means it on, it's on the table. Right. So that's the part that freaks me out a little bit, right? Like I think you could do, if you told me tomorrow, the Red Blacks are going to play a home game with the numbers where they are here in Ontario right now with 35% capacity in an outdoor venue. I'd be comfortable with that. If you told me it was going to be 100%, I I think you have a problem. I, I think that's not a good idea. So yeah. that's I, I I understand you have to plan, right? You have to be prepared for when these things do come, but I'm uncomfortable with the idea of putting dates on it right now. And, and, and that's the part that, that freaks me out. I, I think if the CFL is prepared to operate at 35%, I don't know if they are. If they're prepared to operate at 35%, I'd let them if they need more than that you're probably going to have to wait.
0: Well, Dave Naylor said on TSN 1200 on Thursday, like, it, or Wednesday, sorry, this it this is going to be a season where teams lose money. Like if, if you're going mm-hmm. into this season expecting to make money, you change your expectations. Right. Because it's, it's not going to be that. And again, I th- I think they're sh- you know, they're, they're hoping to, They're shooting for the the moon and hoping they'll land amongst the stars or whatever. But (laughs) they're obviously, they want to be able to say they did everything in their power to make money this season. And I just, I just don't think, at least here in Ontario, I just can't see, I I can't see it anywhere. Because to be honest with you, the CFL should be somewhat consistent, right? Like I I don't, I don't see any province opening up to a hundred percent. But, again, I'm, I'm only here wow. in so I can really Saskatchewan
1: and lines, Alberta but. both said, well, we're ready to go 100% tomorrow. But is that Gosh. the example you want to follow? Uh. And, well, exactly. It's so
0: <laughs> different. Yeah. Like, it's so different. And maybe there's a revenue-sharing plan they can create that allows these teams to spread the revenue so that not all, you know, some teams <laughs> don't suffer or whatever. I think
1: that's but, a fair idea normally, but good luck convincing the city of Regina or... <sighs> Even Edmonton, like these locally owned teams go, yeah, we're going to need you to send some of your money to MLSE. <laughs> Good luck with that yeah, that's message. True. Right? Like-
0: that's very, very true. <laughs> all that is to say that 35% doesn't bother me. Nope. 100% I think is unrealistic yep. and I can't see it happening. And it also makes me nervous. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I, I hope that we are able to watch CFL football me live too. this year. Yes. That's, that's all I can hope for. Uh, One more thing I know you wanted to hit on. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. sports-related, musical-related. And I'll I'll let you tee it up because you're the the Tragically Hip fan, but the Junos took place over the weekend, and the Tragically Hip made a performance. Tell me about that performance, Matt.
1: Uh, I'm a little little rattled here by the suggestion that you may not be a Tragically Hip fan. I, I, I am not the big Tragically Hip <laughs> fan. You are the big Tragically Hip fan. I like uh, them. All right. I'll, ac- I'll take that. I'll, I'll accept that. This was, this was cool. This was, um, you know, they were going to receive like a, a lifetime achievement kind of award. And it's funny when you go way back into the history of of the Tragically Hip when they got started in the late 80s and the early 90s and they started to make it big. Um, And I read a book and it's awesome. If you're a Tragically Hip fan at all, it's called The NeverEnding Light by Michael Barclay. And he covered in great detail, you'd almost call it a beef with the Junos, that they were just like, almost in this kind of like punk rock sense, like we don't care about being recognized by the establishment man, right? And, And these sorts of things that went on, it was never quite that lamely put, but just, you know, we appreciate the support, but we're not coming, right? Like we're going to tour, we're going to keep working. And, and so then the people who vote and the members of, of, you know, the Juno committees kind of go, well, then screw you a little bit. So there's almost a bit of a back and forth there in terms of not really getting along and the hip was never really that interested. And then there is a story in the book about them sitting in one of their hotels on tour and watching the Juno Awards and seeing who, some of these, in their opinion, lame acts and bands that were winning. And when someone would get up in front of the the microphone on their TV screen in the hotel, they would take turns like throwing their popcorn or whatever, trying to hit that person right in the face on their TV screen. Um, as you get older, as we all do, you mature a little bit, you view these things a little bit differently. And the Junos want to honor the tragically hip And they want, like most bands would, they want them to perform. The hip hasn't really done much of that since Gord's passing. And they, they've kind of held fast on this idea that, you know, we're a band, we're a group. We don't really want to do this without Gord. And Rob and I have talked, both hip fans, you know, a few times, and I've thought about this a lot. What are you comfortable with as a fan even? What do you want to do? What do you want to see? And there was only ever two names that I ever came up with. Uh, One was Sam Roberts, who dozens of times, the Sam Roberts band, was welcomed inside the hips circle and allowed to open. And they were one of the very few bands that didn't get hipped off stage, right? If you've ever been to a hip concert, at some point the crowd gets restless with the opening app. Hip, 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 hip. Sam Roberts never really got that. They were allowed to do their thing. The hip audience kind of embraced them. So Sam Roberts' band was kind of a, you know, a natural choice. Could you do something like that for one-off here and there? Could Sam Roberts fill in just because you knew they were friendly? The other one, in my opinion, was Dallas Green, whose voice is nothing like Gord's. He's never really recorded anything like the hip. But again, this iconic Canadian artist who's been around with the band a little bit. Could you maybe see him being the guy to front the band, um, for one or two songs for a special performance. You'd never probably see a tour again, but that was another name that I came up with. And when this yeah, came They it, recorded something together too. That, that's they? right. There's yeah. a song called The Sleeping Sickness, which is an awesome song. And it's Gord Downey uh, playing with City and Color, and it's a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that relationship sort of exists. You sort of keep it in the family. Maybe something like that could happen. When this comes out that they want to do it, um, and they announce at the beginning that Feist is going to front the band. And I thought it was fascinating. And again, only because I've read this book recently do I go, you know, that that makes some sense, right? I could see that Feist was one of, and this is one of the problems with the band that they admit themselves, both in the documentary, long time running and in the book that early on in their run, the hips audience was not welcoming to women. It was an angry drunk group of, of men, um, that didn't make women feel particularly welcome. And when they did their tours, uh, another roadside attraction and, uh, things like that f- bands fronted by women or female individual acts, Gord would defend to the death, right? He would, he would say to them afterwards, that's our shitty audience. You don't deserve that sort of thing. I loved your performance. I'm glad you were here. A lot of, um, a lot of that sort of stuff went into this decision. Feist had been friends with the band for a while. Feist had done some solo work with Gord a couple of times. And while most of us, because of the way the radio works up here, only know Feist for that one, two,
2: three.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's what we know Feist as. But she's been making the rounds across this country for a long time. And Gord really liked her work was friend, like she was friends with the whole band for a long time and they considered her very much, not just an opening act, not just whatever, but somebody who was a friend of the band. And so this was incredible that when I, when I saw the selection, I was like, I don't know, as, as one of those hip fans, I was, I don't know if I want to see, even if it was even my, my own thoughts or whatever, Sam Roberts or or Dallas Green. Even then, I wasn't sure if I wanted to see anyone else front the band, or if you just go, that's it. That's how it goes sometimes, and maybe it's over. When they announced Feist, I kind of went, that's really interesting. I wonder what that's going to look like. And I didn't know if it'd be multiple songs. I didn't know if there'd be something new, uh, what it might look like. And so at the Grammys on Sunday, the 6th uh, of June, they performed It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken. And... She was fantastic. I didn't know, it had nothing to do with her. I just didn't know if I was ready to see the band fronted by somebody else, right? She was terrific. And that whole song, you have to kind of dig through the lyrics a little bit. That whole song is about friendship. And so while that sounds a little lame, it fit perfectly. If we're going to let somebody else do this we want a friend of the band. We want somebody Gord would approve of and be comfortable with that. He would actually like to see do this. I thought it was, it was terrific. Once it started and the way she was carrying the the tune and, and, and seeing the band play uh, at Massey hall, the home of, they said in Gord's home, and they mean Gordon Lightfoot who introduced the band. They refused to do the show or to do the performance on the stage. Cause they, now they've played Massey hall on stage a bunch of times. But at the Juno Awards, they did not want to play that performance on stage. That's Gordon Lightfoot's stage. They wanted to play somewhere else. And so they did it kind of in front of this window and it was a nice visual, a nice image. And Feist was terrific. And they just did the one song, kind of thanked everybody for allowing them to do that. They were, it was all over their social media feeds later that they loved, um, that Gordon Lightfoot was the one who introduced it as well. I thought it was awesome. Um, I'm only noticing now that I've been talking, I'm not even sure you're still there, Michaela. I've been talking for like <laughs> six minutes now. I
0: am here. Don't worry. No, this is your thing. Like again, I, I watched the performance. I thought it was really good. Yeah. But I don't have the background knowledge that you just kind of bestowed upon us, um, and the context that that helps in this in this situation. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure on. What I assume was the was this the first performance since Gore died as as with I a know. different lead singer? Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge amount of pressure on anyone in, in yes. Canada yeah. on on the stage, like the Junos, which is obviously Canada's musical night, yeah. right? And, yeah, you know, people make fun of the Junos all you want. This sure. is a big night for for Canadian music, and I can't imagine that pressure. And and you know, I I thought it, it lived up. I thought I it was too. there. There was nothing I could pick apart with it. And again. I'm not a massive fan, but I'm familiar enough with the hips music to know, okay, this was, this was really friggin' good. The band seemed to be vibing. Yes. So they were obviously happy with it. And I think if you're a Gord Downie fan, if you're a Tragically Hip fan, you know, there's, there's never going to be someone who's going to live up to Gord Downie. But like, I think this was as good as it gets without him.
1: Yeah. And that's it. It was just, I'll be honest with you. When it came on, I was just like, please, please, please don't suck. And I wasn't, even necessarily meaning that towards Feist, it was just, I don't want, you know, some, I I don't want it tainted. I don't want to go like, oh no. Right. Like I, I wish they hadn't done that. And it turned out to be really good. And it turned out to be something that I, I do think Gord would have enjoyed, right. I, I, I knowing his relationship with Feist and the band's relationship with her and the times that she'd been allowed to open for them. And I, I was, um, I was so, retroactively almost like when it was over and it went well, I was like, I'm so happy that happened. I was so glad I got to see something like that and mm-hmm. and see it fronted so well, see her do such a good job with it, with a song that I've always really enjoyed. And then in my head, I was almost picturing, even knowing her style, I was almost picturing more of like a rock song where it's easier to just pass off poets or something like that that you can blast through as a rock band and it doesn't have to mean very much. And when they went with that song, I was like, this fits perfectly with what they're trying to do right now, but it's going to be a challenge. And I hope this goes well. And when I almost wasn't happy until it was over and I was like, that was awesome. I'm so glad that happened. I was glad I got to see that. Um, but as much as anything else, it was like a relief, right? Like I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that went well. So I just wanted to put that out there. It's all over YouTube. We'll share the links in our, uh, social media feeds if you're a hip fan and, and, you know, me and Rob and me all the time talking about the tragically hip. Um, you know, if you're a hip fan at all, this is a performance. If you missed it, I know not everybody watches the Junos. I don't watch the Junos every year. That's okay. All right, That's what YouTube is for. Well, exactly. <laughs> right. So we will share these links for you. Um, if you're a hip fan at all, it's worth checking out. I thought she was incredible. I thought it came together very nicely. And, and the best part of it, We've talked about this a bunch of times over the years on the podcast. What do you want to see out of a cover or a performance, right? When somebody else's band covers a song, do you want to see them do their best job to, co- uh, to copy the original? Or do you want to see your band take that song and make it their own and spin it into their interpretation of it? And that's what this was to me. I thought the band stayed true to what they do. They played that song the same way that they always do. And she didn't try to be gored. She didn't try to do his subtleties and his interpretations and his, um, you know, his vocal performances. She, she stood in there like she was fronting that band, which she was and gave her interpretation of it vocally, lyrically. And I thought it was, it was tremendous. The band did their thing. She took it, made it her own, vocal performance rather than trying to be gored it was awesome i i was so happy with it i was so glad i got to see it i thought it was uh, you know as a tragically hip fan that that's a gift right that's something you stole away and go that was awesome
0: and that's as good as you can hope for when it like no matter what this this performance was going to be you know reviewed with a fine tooth comb and I think that's that's about as good as it gets. That's good to hear that fans were happy. I think they sh- they deserve to be happy, and and you know she deserves credit, and the band deserves credit. It, it would be terrible if they were having to you know answer to some sort of horrible criticism. Oh no, God! No. Um, it's <laughs> nice to see that. God, it's nice to see positivity every day. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> bless up, and uh, and with that, I think that's kind of the perfect place to to wrap things up. Let's end things on a positive note,
1: shall we? Yeah, we so rarely get to do that. I think that's a good yeah. idea.
0: <laughs> all right, let's do it. So thank you so much for listening to this wonderfully positive podcast. It's all rainbows and butterflies all the time. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Audio, facebook.com slash Audio. You can find me on Twitter at Shrides, S-C-H-R-E-I-D-S. And you can find my craft beer takes and photos at Craft in the Capital on Instagram. We will see you next time on Tall Can Audio.
1: She's got game, TSN Radio this weekend
0: color of the
2: night And all the smoke in one light Gives way with shaky movements Improvisation skills, A forest of the spring speakers That swear that we will Get with the time
0: Or by searching "Paul Can Audio" on your favorite podcast app.